Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Well, there's no confusion about sporting seasons in the Northern Hemisphere at the moment, and the Six Nations is front and centre. The weekend's action had it all. Another epic Scottish victory over England. Indoor stadium conspiracy theories leading to a draw between France and Italy and a typically clinical Irish unit keeping their Grand Slam hopes a reality over Wales. Gavin Casey is a fine journalist for the 42 in Ireland, always lucky to get some of uh, his time because he is a character, loves his rugby, and uh, at the moment, why wouldn't he? G'day, Gavin, how are you? I'm very well, Smith. He really enjoyed the sermon. Exquisite stuff for you. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing really well, actually. Uh, doing really well. We've got, yeah, we're uh, in the middle of uh, cricket season still, believe it or not. But your, yeah, your, uh, your season is hotting up over there. Jeez, I'm, I just, I continue to show a hell of a lot of interest in it, Gavin, in the Six Nations. And I'm, I'm scratching my head at a couple of things. But let's start with Ireland, shall we? Uh, pretty clinical, as we said, 31-7 over Wales. Uh, it just seems to me that Andy Farrell uh, just continues to get them playing at a consistently high level. Yeah, and as you say, Smithy, it's great, like I say, that you have an interest in the competition down there, and I know a lot of rugby fans will be similar, but I would say Ireland are probably sucking the enjoyment out of the competition up here because of that consistency and because of the sense of inevitability actually going into a lot of these games. Okay, they opened in Marseille against France in what was kind of billed as a 50-50 game, but it did a demolition job on a, on a French team that's had a really low ebb, as we know now. But at home to Wales, traditionally a great rivalry, traditionally a game which would have either Dublin or Cardiff bouncing. It was Dublin this time around. I was in the stand and you could hear a pin drop, really, because you have 50,000 Irish people going there in expectation of victory rather than anticipation or excitement. And, and that's the way it played out. And that might sound like a sour on Ireland. Quite the opposite, obviously. They're a really well-oiled machine. They've probably added a couple of strings to their bow since the World Cup, even in the absence of figures as titanic and iconic as Johnny Sexton and they're justifiable favourites to do back-to-back Grand Slams which by the way has never been done in the Six Nations era 24 years since Italy's introduction nobody has ever gone two in a row so it would be um, certainly a milestone if they can pull it off Gavin how long is this cycle this this powerful cycle of Irish rugby expected to last can you stretch it out another three years and nine months <laughs> don't mention the war smithy you know we're still a little bit raw <laughs> up here <laughs> if we could just uh, enjoy this six nations for what it is firstly but you know what you raise an interesting point because i think if you were to juxtapose ireland right now and france right now france are in an absolute tailspin i don't know if fabian galtier the head coach is going to be there at the end of this championship to be honest he looks like a man who's under federal pressure i would say that their players haven't necessarily bought into this leg of, of Galtier's journey or this leg of his mission, right? We understand how big theming is in professional sport now and almost as though you have to have this cause, not just a championship, but a collective cause that you're fighting for. I would say France's cause for the last five years had been their home World Cup. And unfortunately, for them, just the same as Ireland, it's 
finals, and they don't seem to have recovered in any way. And you, you've contrasted that with Ireland. I mean, it was probably one of the most heartbreaking Irish sporting time when Alex hits that ball and dreams go up in smoke. But as soon as the situations kicked out, say they looked like the same good team that had lost to New Zealand in that quarterfinal. They're, they're adding things to their bow rather than being depleted. And that's probably Ireland's greatest achievement in, in this championship is just this sense of consistency, as you put it, Smithy, a little bit of a progress as well. Whereas you, you look at France and the team that we were all describing as arguably the best team in the world four or five months ago now looked like nobody's. That is a, a better <laughs> It, it is bizarre, Gavin, as you say, um, the, the downfall of France. I mean, they've uh, got six points from three games. Um, you know, they've got some tough encounters to come up. Uh, you know, we've always thought about French rugby with its, um, you know, its joie de vivre. It's just when it's, it's, it's just the way it, it's flair, it's unbelievable. But when it's down, when they get depressed, it's a pretty ugly sight. Uh, do you see that in the players? I do, to be totally honest with you, Cindy, yeah, because I get the impression that I, I would say part of it is maybe the fact you don't have Antoine Dupont there. People will know, obviously, he's playing sevens. He's tearing it up as expected in sevens. He was in Vancouver last night for the French sevens team. He's going to go to the Olympics with them. It's a kind of a, a side project of his, which means he, he misses the championship entirely. Uh, but you can't put it all down to that either. I, I do think... There's been a reshuffle of coaching. Their attack looks worse than it did at the World Cup. And I would say that even at the World Cup, it probably wasn't fully filling, fulfilling its potential. And this is really a golden generation of French players we were talking about. The question you asked me about Ireland a moment ago, can they keep this run going and, and sort of um, continue to, to rule the roost, at least in this neck of the woods as far as the World Cup, that was a conversation we were having in Europe about France in a global context maybe 18 months ago because of the mm. unbelievable debt, the playing population, the performance set up over there you've got uh, like two pretty high level professional leagues obviously the top 14 being their their premier league equivalent but then their second tier is even strong and if you have a, a situation in which this french team collapses as you say and oh uh, heads are down and uh it would just feel like such a waste of, a, of an unbelievable batch of players and, and it is the sense i get at the moment is that they're they're veering towards the edge of a cliff now as we all know things can change extremely quickly. It may just take a, a, a new man at the very top. People have to understand as well, Fabien Galtier is a tough taskmaster. A lot of these players had him for four years towards the World Cup. We saw in that Netflix documentary, for example, he's instructing them, if you listen to me, if you do as I say, we will win games. It was proven incorrect. And he actually doesn't really have a great deal to show for those four years, ultimately. There was one grand slam in all of that time. So I would say players have probably lost faith in him because it's... Uh, you know, he runs an unbelievably tight ship, as does his defence coach, Sean Edwards. And mm. I think for the French players, you might be looking at the next three years and nine months and thinking, this is going to be a slog. And it's difficult then to play with the same verve as we would associate with French teams traditionally. We're talking to uh, Gavin Casey, of course, a, a world-renowned uh, journalist uh, these days for the 42 in Ireland. Um, w before we leave the Irish encounter with Wales, just just a little, we, we've of course got a vested interest uh, a little bit in Wales, Gavin, with uh, with our very own Warren Gatland at the helm at the moment. Is he making any progress? Can, can we see? If you looked at the table, you would say no, but I think you have to read between the lines of Wales' performances so far. Smith, you, the first two of which were were relatively strong. Uh, at Twickenham, they were uh, 
you can't say unlucky England deserved to win that game, but certainly Wales gave a better account of themselves than they were expected to. And even at the Aviva Stadium on Saturday, as much as, yes, Ireland run out bonus point winners, as much as, yes, it finishes 31-7 and it doesn't read great, what we saw from Wales was actually an ability to upset Ireland's attack a little bit. I thought they read Ireland's attacking patterns pretty well. Things like as basic as their tackle technique, just dedication to the cause, did impress me and did impress a lot of Irish fans. It was probably with the ball on the other side, like or the ball coming the other way. They don't quite have the game-breaking individuals who can make a difference to the scoreboard at this moment. But uh, people have to take into consideration the bleed of talent that Wales has suffered in the last well, four or five months, so many talismanic figures departing. Alan Wynne-Jones, Dan Bigger, Lee Halfpenny, Justin Tipperick, players, really world-level players. And Gatlin has ostensibly now a, like an under-20 squad. It's, it's, it's almost like a development squad that you would send on a, on a tour of, say, the Pacific Islands or Japan in a, a busy summer. But that is the Wales senior squad now. And I would say they're making tentative steps in the right direction. They're unlocking some really lovely talent, individuals like Alex Mann, Cameron Winnett, an exciting fullback. But it's going to be a long journey for them. And there's going to be a lot of pain, I would say, before they um, before they rediscover some of their Six Nations form of old. Last week, uh, we were previewing this, uh, this last round of matches and we're thinking, well, if, uh, if England stay on track, they are the greatest threat to Ireland. Well, they didn't stay on track. Scotland knocked them over, which has become a bit habitual of late. Scotland 30, England 21. Steve Borthwick, big problems? Um, I would say little problems, little problems. As you say, it has been routine for Scotland against England in the last seven or eight years. And it's been five victories and a draw now in the last uh, seven meetings, I think. Yeah, and uh, this is a game in which... You know, if you've ever heard of Occam's Razor, the most obvious solution is usually the one right in front of your nose. And trying to figure out who was going to win this game, I would have said, yeah, Scotland are just a better team than England at the moment. And it, and it showed. I would say England's problem for the time being is that you have Felix Jones in there, who is a wonderful coach. He's organizing their defense after spending two World Cup cycles or, well, a World Cup cycle and a half with South Africa winning two medals. He's probably looking to replicate Jack Nienaber's famous line speed and that really impenetrable defensive system. And Nienaber is now working with Leinster up in this neck of the woods, Smithy, and he's on the record at the start of the season as saying, it takes about 14 games for me to be able to fully implement my defense. Now, you look at an international calendar, you don't even really have 14 weeks together in an entire year. So I would think that they're trying to front load a lot of that work during this championship. It's probably coming at the detriment then to their attack, which looks dodgy it looks like it actually lacks in ideology not to mind fluidity and cohesion and it may be one uh, a year where England are forced to to accept that they're in transition but what I would say as well is when they do meet Ireland excuse me in a couple of weeks time at Twickenham I would expect that having had an extra fortnight working under Jones and implementing some of those defensive ideas they will pose challenges to Ireland even in recent years when they've been at a a lower ebb than they are now they've actually given Ireland a, a couple of tricky games so I wouldn't rule them out of, of springing an upset, but uh, yeah, it doesn't look like they're going to win a championship, that's for sure. Gavin, in terms of uh, the club rugby scene up there and the club competitions, uh, what is the strongest? I mean, is the top 14 in France still re- regarded very highly, or is, or is the English competitions along with Ireland, are they, are they the strong ones? Is the competition with South African teams working? Is it paying dividends? 
I would say it is paying dividends, Smitty, uh, yeah. So you, you would have, basically, you would have three strong leagues in the Northern Hemisphere. The top 14, as you say, in France, which is certainly the richest, um, has probably the, the greatest uh, history to it in that, like, rugby is a massive sport in France. It, really, it's second only to football. It's a massive part of the, the nation's sporting culture, more so than it would be the case in, in Ireland or England or Wales. Then you have the Premiership in England. Uh, a lot of the clubs in recent years have been hitting unbelievable financial difficulties. A few of them have ceased to exist, unfortunately, in the cases of the Wasps and Worcester Warriors, for example. But ironically, that has probably actually strengthened the league this season because you have suddenly 100-odd professional players, some of them international, some of them top-level players who are out of work. So a lot of the Premiership clubs have been able to sign these players as free agents and boost their own squads. And in European competitions, so you have the Champions Cup, which is uh, kind of the equivalent of the Champions League in soccer, for example, or, or our equivalent of Super Rugby. Uh, the English clubs have been doing pretty well, actually, in comparison to how they've been doing in recent years. And then the URC is the competition you mentioned, which has the, has the former Super Rugby South African franchises. And their injection into that competition has actually really added to it, probably added a a legitimacy to what was a, a pretty poor level competition in which the, the Irish provinces were traditionally dominating. Now you have these wonderful rivalries blossoming between provinces and South African franchises. And uh, it's probably been a case of a, a rising tide, tide lifting all boats in that competition. But yeah, if you, to, to answer the question as to which is the strongest, pro- yes, still the top 14 has the most TV money, has the most interest has the richest clubs for the most part. Um, it's just a shame for France. I guess it's not translating to their national team for the moment. I, I might have missed this, and you can correct me if I, I am. Lions coach for 2025, um, ha, has that been appointed yet? Uh, and if not, who would be favourites for you? It has been, yeah. Andy Farrell is going to do that job. Right, okay. So he had and- long... Yeah, he had long been mooted for it. He's obviously been assistant coach to Warren Gatlin as well, so he's well-versed in the in the culture of it. And, yeah, I don't think there was a single fan in this neck of the woods who was disappointed by that appointment, to be honest. Right, OK. Uh, so that that uh, is of interest. I mean, one of the other reasons I asked you about uh, South Africa's input into uh, rugby over there all of a sudden is because their input over there meant their exit from rugby, super rugby over here. Uh, we have a competition, mm. I, I would imagine you follow it a little bit, which is very dominated by New Zealand now. Australian sides struggle to beat New Zealand, have done for quite some time. Do, do, you, do you follow um, the, the Super Rugby uh, from over there very closely, or you, you just don't, you wait till international rugby becomes a bit closer with the All Blacks? I would follow it personally, and I would say that there's probably a greater interest in Super Rugby among Northern Hemisphere rugby fans than there would be in, say, the Champions Cup or the European Cup among fans in New Zealand or, or Australia because that competition's heyday in the late 90s, early 2000s, even the mid-2000s. It was broadcast on Sky Sports up here. It was a big deal and it was a, an exotic brand of rugby at that time that was just so alien to what we were watching in the Northern Hemisphere. And probably ideologically, the sport has, the, the gap between the hemispheres has narrowed and Look, economically, as you know better than, uh, well, you'll know better than me, I feel like that competition, the, the pedigree of it, the, the prestige of it a little bit, and the product has probably been diluted in recent years. But I, I certainly have an interest in it personally, yeah. 
Great. Yeah. Hey, Gavin, fantastic to catch up with you. Um, just love your, your input. Um, and enjoy the work that you do for the 42 as well. Thank, thanks for staying up a bit later for us tonight. Really do appreciate it. And uh, long may Ireland's reign continue because uh, they are playing a terrific brand of rugby. Thanks for your time. Really appreciate it. Happy anytime.